Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football people who like football. Here come two words for you. Purple Live. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. His mind, you know, his knowledge of the game, his knowledge of... I mean, Tom Brady has played against, I imagine, every defensive coordinator in the NFL right now. Right, and you know how it is with defensive coordinators, coaches going against other coaches. They actually, they remember coaching against this coach. This coach likes to do this. He likes to do that. Tom Brady's been playing so long, he understands what these coaches are trying to do to him. Mm-hmm. He understands the different defenses. Obviously, he understands his offense. That was former NFL wide receiver Donald Jones on the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin, Purple Live. You can download the Purple Podcast on your Purple app on your iPhone or wherever the heck else you get podcasts. Just type in Purple Podcast. Or if you just like to listen to things on your old PC, we can handle that too. 1500ESPN.com. Just go there. You'll see the Purple Podcast logo. Click that and you can listen to the entire interview, which was incredibly good with Donald Jones, who was a Patriot briefly, uh, spent an offseason with the Patriots and had a great perspective on Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, how Belichick will play defense against Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs and so forth. So feel free to listen to that. So Let me start here with you, Courtney, and people can chime in on this as well, is where do we sit with this team now that they passed such a big test and it feels like they cleared the hurdle that they needed to clear to get into the playoffs, which was beating the Green Bay Packers at U.S. Bank Stadium. Now, where are we putting them in the category of contenders in the NFC? Feel free to, don't answer that yet, feel free to... (laughs) To jump in, 651-646-8255 is the phone number. We always appreciate your phone calls. So where do you see the Vikings? Do you see them after that win as deserving to be in the conversation? The NFC still well below New Orleans and Los Angeles and in kind of the mix or what? Or, I, or, or not believing them in them at all? Where no, do you I, I've, I've had them as a playoff team this whole time. And I still believe they are, but I don't believe that they're going. I don't think right now they're going to contend for the NFC North title. I mean, unless something really, really bad goes wrong with the Bears. I mean, they don't have that bad of a schedule coming up. They go to the Giants and they've got the 49ers win. They've got the Packers win. Mm-hmm. They have the they have the Rams, which will be tough. But I think that the Vikings schedule still is what's going to be the deciding factor here. I think they're a wild card team. And do I think that we might be looking at a um, a matchup against the Bears in the playoffs? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that seems very possible now. And going through the different schedules for teams like, I mean, even Carolina, 
They have to face the Saints twice before the end of the year, and that's going to be really tough for them. They don't have an easy schedule. And the Vikings now, ESPN has them about 70% to make the playoffs. If they get a win this week, it goes up even more. If they get a win in Seattle, then that pretty much would, would lock them into it with a game against Miami and a game against Detroit, and then, of course, finishing off with Chicago. You know, Courtney, I I was going through the tape of the game against Green Bay today, this morning, and what I came away with is it wasn't just a win against a bad defense. I think the Packers are a mediocre defense. I don't think that they're terrible like they have been in the past. It's just just so-so. Okay, they can stop you. They, They might not stop you on a weekly basis, but... I was really impressed with the changes that they made offensively. And it looks like the offense that we had expected the Minnesota Vikings to have this year to carry over a lot of elements of Pat Shermer. And I think that they checked pretty much every single box of things they needed to do. Now it's a lot easier to believe that this offense can maximize its talent as opposed to what we saw the previous couple of weeks, especially against Chicago, where you felt like this offense isn't going anywhere. Well, I think what they did, especially on all three of those touchdowns, came on things that are that are the basis of this offense. What were they really good at last year? Screen plays and throwing screens to running backs. Those had been pretty much obsolete the first 11 weeks of the season. And, and you can argue, too, that they threw a lot of screens to wide receivers, and, and those were pretty good, forcing some of the, those perimeter, you know, getting guys out to the perimeter. Um, and they also use running backs in wide receiver spots. But to get the running back screen game going, great. 26-yard touchdown, Dalvin Cook. Play action, as we mentioned in the previous hour on the last segment, that's that, those were both touchdowns to Stephon Diggs and to Adam Thielen. They're playing to the strengths of their offense, which is something that John DeFilippo has always mentioned. Um, you know, ever since he got here and we talked to him in May during OTAs, that get, A, get your playmakers in space, B, do what they do well. And building your offense around Dalvin Cook, yeah, you would have probably liked that, and, and you know, especially with the play action game and, and, and so many other elements. But they weren't able to do it for a lot of different reasons because Kirk Cousins still getting used to the offense, because Dalvin Cook got hurt, and because of the strength of the offensive line. Now you're starting to see they found workarounds for a number of different uh, handicaps that they do have on offense, starting with that offensive line. Pat Elfine getting out to the second level, that is the reason that you drafted him uh, in the third round in 2017, because you knew how athletic he is and how vital that is. Watching Brian O'Neill do the same thing, pulling all the way over to the left side on that, I believe it was a five-yard Dalvin Cook run there late in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually got injured on the play, but you know was able to, you know when he was uh, got the concussion, um, that I think is you've got workarounds. You've got you've got things that these guys can do really well. Now it's going to be a matter of you go on the road in two very hostile, two very tough environments the next few weeks. You need to see those type of concepts continue over because you found you found the recipe. You found the recipe for what this team is really good at, and it's just a matter now. The defenses you're going to see from here on out are in no shape. Uh, what you saw the hardest part of your stretch. So I get the sense that Mike Zimmer decided to take some things uh, upon himself to make some changes and let us hear a few of them in the media and in the press conferences last week leading up some of his frustrations. But from what he said about having conversations with Kirk Cousins, especially when it came to wanting Cousins to just take off to get first downs, talking about the volume of plays and simplifying it, and then to see them on tape use simple concepts work, 
was like, ah, oh, this is it. Yeah, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Like they ran on third and 10. They ran a little bit of a, a mesh concept, which is just a receiver and a tight end running across each other. It's very simple. It's used for every team, but it goes for 15 yards because they got Adam Thielen the ball. Simple stuff like that. Execution, just line it up and play it, which is what Mike Zimmer said. It makes me think if Zimmer had this series of meetings, which is the way that it sounded like, sort of calling out Filippo, talking to Kirk Cousins about protecting the ball, things like that, that this would be, if the offense continues to carry on, I think the best job Mike Zimmer has done, often, uh, not even offensively, but like overall, of coaching this team. Because of the number of bumps they've hit along the road, a number of tough times that they've had fixing the defense and then later having to fix the offense throughout the season, that there were chances that this thing could have gone completely off the rails, but winning in Green Bay now has them set up to go the rest of the way and into the playoffs. For, for as much hands-on as he's had to be and as much changes that have had to be made along the way, plus some injuries and the Everson Griffin situation and missing Delvin Cook, and the offensive line not being built up by his GM, it might be his best job if they indeed are in the playoffs and have a chance. It's certainly his hardest job because I think, yes, you've had so much adversity over the last five years uh, that he's been here and in terms of you know all the different quarterbacks he's had and all the injuries that he's faced in the offensive line in 2016. I think just the, the magnitude of there was always something um, this year, if it wasn't the offensive line, it's losing your offensive line coach. If it mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, having all the issues with your defense early on, it's it's losing Everson Griffin to mental health issues for for a stretch of five weeks. If it wasn't Kirk Cousins fumbling the ball away on back to back drives against Buffalo, and you having an embarrassing not Minnesota Vikings team is what Rick Spielman said about that game, uh, that type of loss. Then it's you know going head to head and bucking heads with your uh, allegedly bucking heads with your offensive coordinator. I mean Mike Zimmer when he gets out in those press conferences, um, he he doesn't hold back. And I guess for better or for worse, I mean it's very much a read between the lines type season. I think that we've seen that in several circumstances with what Kirk Cousins has said and what Mike Zimmer has said, but. The job that he's done, I think, in just kind of pulling back a little bit with the Kirk situation. I mean, what Kirk said, Kirk brought that up the other day after the game, and then Zimmer talked about it yesterday during his press conference, that he's had meetings with Kirk Cousins. And, I mean, he's had, Kirk has had meetings with Coach Zimmer, and that Coach Zimmer always tells him, well, what what do you need from me? What can I do to help? Mm-hmm. We hadn't heard about those types of meetings at any other point this season. So I wonder, did they increase in um, in frequency. I know Mike Zimmer said he met with him several times last week. So, so that to me is interesting. Um, and it maybe shows that, you know, yes, Zimmer wants this team to have a defensive identity. That's how he's won games. Who knows if that'll blow past him at some point and if he'll be able to survive in this league, uh, not buying into the offensive wave that's coming through. But I think in his ability to understand and, and make adjustments and, and offer an ear, it honestly sounded more like kind of like a compassionate understanding, like, help me help you. Help me help you figure out what you can do best because, you know, Kirk Cousins going into into the Chicago game, playing like a deer in headlights, mm-hmm. um, there needed to be some sort of, as you said, a come to Jesus type thing last week. And I think that they've done a pretty good job. And I mean, you know, Mike Zimmer had a lot of praise for John Filippo after that game, uh, after the, the Green Bay Packers game. And rightfully so. I mean, that was a rough start again for the offense and it could have gone very south. 
from that point, but I think that some of the play concepts that they had, some of the screen game, and not even just the screen game. I mean, getting your rece- getting your running backs, your explosive running backs. I mean, he even threw a few passes to Amir Abdullah. Um, just getting creative with your personnel. And, and I think that they've shown that they can do this at a high level. It's just a matter of maintaining it. So I don't know this, but it just seemed to me, the way that I was kind of perceiving the situation would be that Zimmer said... It's got to be this way. Like, if we're going to win on offense, it can't be with a complicated offense that asks Kirk Cousins to sit in there and have Riley Reef block Khalil Mack one-on-one and just stand in the same place in the pocket all the time. We've got to use some of the same football hacks that we used with Case Keenum, but apply them to a more talented quarterback. It's almost like for a lot of the season, at times, not always, that they would treat Cousins as if he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, that he could make all the same types of plays and extend plays. And that's where, if you were bringing over Philadelphia's offense with Carson Wentz, Wentz is really good at extending plays, and Kirk isn't. So they, I think that they use a lot of those same things that they use to protect Case Keenum, moving him out of the pocket. I mean, the, the touchdown to Adam Thielen is a great example. It's just a rollout. There's no one around him. He could just wait to see how things develop, and then wide open is Adam Thielen for a touchdown. These are things they were not making it super easy on Kirk Cousins all the time, and they were able to do that against Green Bay. Feel free to chime in. Purple Live Show, 651-646-8255. Let's go to Bob and Woodbury here. What's up, Bob? Hi, how are you? Uh, you were um, just on the same topic. Uh, it seemed like uh, Cousins went out of the pocket on a rollout uh, two or three or four times <laughs> uh, this last game that he didn't prior to the game. And I think that's great because it gives him a little extra time. And he followed Aaron Rodgers on that same uh, uh, technique because if if there is a defensive guy coming towards him, he throws it out of bounds and he doesn't have to take a sack. Mm -hmm. And he had so many previous games where they tip a pass on on the line, you know, when he's in the pocket. So rolling out a little bit, Gives him that time. If he doesn't find a guy, he throws it out of bounds, just like Rodgers does. Any times we've seen it, and he doesn't take a sack. So I don't know. I think somebody told him either for Filippo or or uh, the coach, head coach, let's roll out a little bit more. Somebody said something to him. Yeah, for sure. Working. For sure, Bob. Thanks for the call. Play action is the biggest part of Kirk Cousins' game. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Belichick mentioned it today in the conference call. Absolutely. I mean, well, you want to talk about a good play action quarterback, take a look at what Tom Brady's doing, but we can get into that. Um, with Kirk Cousins and how explosive he can be off play action, just take a look at some of the numbers. So, against the Packers in two meetings this season, he has an 81.2% completion percentage, all others 75%. So, it's not that big of a difference. Yards per attempt, 14.5 with play action, 7.1. Wow. So that's literally, he's doubling the type of plays that he's able to execute. And look, I, I you know, what we talked, I asked Zimmer about play action last week because we talked about the percentage and you just haven't really seen it. And we wonder, okay, if this was such a big part of his game, why is it not being utilized as much? And he said, yeah, short answer, yes, we need to, we need to use more of it. Um, I think some of that's on Kirk too, though, where... Why is it, when he drops back, he's staying in the same spot in the back of the pocket and making his tackles job 
very, very, very difficult. Right. And that was that was the constant theme from the Rams game to where he's, you know, saying, Oh, well, you never want to be more than nine and a half yards deep in the pocket. And it's like, well, that's that's pretty deep, especially on a shotgun drop when you're dropping back out of the shotgun. Um, Kirk doesn't move back there very well. That mm-hmm. this has been established. That Not unless is- you draw it up for him to move. And that, I think, is where when you have design rollouts like this, naked boots, um, a lot of different things, you can really get creative here because he's so explosive off this. And as we've talked about, the running game, whatever. If they, you know, I'm not a believer that you have to run the ball to set up play action. I don't think anybody is in 2018. Mm-hmm. But he can keep running play action the way he's doing, even if they can't generate the run. Let's go to Joe in Plymouth here on Purple Live. How you doing, Joe? Great, thank you. I appreciate you taking my call. And uh, funny, great segue into what I wanted to talk about. You mentioned the running game. Um, I cannot say I agree with you that play action doesn't need to be set up by having a strong running game. I I think after a while they just kind of figure you out. But I want to talk about the running game just real quick that I I feel like in my observance of this year so far that when it comes to actual running of the ball, Latavius is definitely doing a a much better job or, or, or gaining more yards than Dalvin is on the ground. Clearly Dalvin is the pass catcher and when you look at this last week's production, I know Latavius got 11 carries, and, um, and at times he had some pretty decent, you know, runs. It only amounted to I think 33 yards or something in that ballpark. But I guess the point of what I'm trying to get to uh, for my call is, I'd love to see Latavius more engaged. It, you know, that streak we went on when Dalvin was out, when Latavius finally they adjusted and he finally was running well. Um, we were winning, and we were doing a, a more balanced offense. And I, I just, uh, you know, with Dalvin being back, and everybody loves explosive capabilities, though the fumbleitis gets on my nerves. Um, I just would love to see more ground and pound on, on uh, running the ball um, to establish that play action, so that Kirk is not having to throw sixty passes a game. Okay, Joe, that's a that's a great call, and there's so much there that I want to get to at the next segment. Um, because I want to talk about Latavius and Delvin Cook, what they can do there. And I've got a great stat for you that shows that you don't need to have an effective running game to make your play action work. We'll talk about that next. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, here on Purple Live. In a sea of purple, this is one deep dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin here on the Purple Live show, the live version of the Purple Podcast, which you can download anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, great call to end the last segment about the Vikings and, and how they should use Latavius Murray and Delvin Cook uh, and about play action in the NFL now. And what's interesting about that is you can't run it every single play, but one stat that I like to use to demonstrate how you don't actually need to succeed in the run to keep having success in the play action, other than just what the Vikings are doing this year. 2016 was the worst running game I think I've ever seen in my life by any team, by the Vikings. Mm-hmm. It was a joke. The Matt Asiata the show. The Matt Asiata show. Okay. What? Worst in the league in rushing. And Sam Bradford had a 110 quarterback rating on play action. He was incredibly successful when they ran play action. They had no running game whatsoever. No one had to be afraid at all. The way defenses are designed and the way that linebackers, what they're told to do, they're told to read keys in the backfield. 
And so they react, and when they come up, that's just what they're supposed to do on that play that's taught to them since they were in high school. And they read that play, and they come up, and that opens up space. It it still works. And I asked Mike Zimmer once, I said, would you ever consider just not having your linebackers react? Just wait till the running back actually has the ball, just drop back, and then react to a run if they're going to do it? And he said no that he's always going to have those linebackers read the key and and do what they're supposed to do so teams will continue to run the play action like that, meaning the Vikings should just keep running play action. The Rams do it 40% of the time. Yes, and they also stay like in 11 personnel all that time, which which makes it really tough because, and Mike Zimmer talked about this during training camp, when you stay in the same personnel and you're running play action and how difficult that makes it because you're going to anticipate it a lot but you can also, you know, if you stay in the same base personnel, you're looking at a lot of different ways to switch things up because teams are going to expect one thing, but they know you're not going to run it all the time, like play action. I just think that this kind of pervasiveness of this argument is very antiquated. Like, we don't, this is not football 10 years ago. It's not mm-hmm. football five years ago. I looked up a stat from Football Outsiders from last year. So it's uh, the average pass play in 2017 was 6.2 yards. That was per game, um, and it was 4.1 yards per average each rush play. And then on first and 10, teams ran the ball 50 per, successfully ran the ball 53% of the time, and on those first and 10 runs, 44% of rushes and 52% of passes were successful. So you have this balance here where, yes, you do need to have some semblance of a run game. You can't run play action all the time, but to, to think that you need to have the run game set it up Kirk, how many times was Kirk were early on in the season when Kirk was doing a lot more play? Kirk Cousins was doing a lot more play action, and there were it was a higher usage within the offense, and they weren't running the ball effectively at all against Buffalo. I mean, yes, they were playing from behind. They ran the, like they had six rushing plays, still pretty successful with play action. And same thing with the Rams game when Dalvin Cook was getting hit behind the line of scrimmage on those twenty yards on every single bit of those twenty yards that he gained that game. That, to me, shows you that this offense doesn't have to run the ball to be successful. Teams now, they're running the ball less, and the average is right around where it was last year when they were running the ball more. League-wide, it's about 4.37 yards per game. That shows you the change is happening. Ride the wave. Like You don't need to run the ball to set up play action. This is not 2005. And, And even more so than that, even if you run play action successfully a lot of the times, you can still make it difficult for teams to scheme for. And, and I think that that's where that sort of comes from is we all spent years and years and years watching games, listening to color analysts talk about how the run game sets up the play action. And maybe it did, but now it really doesn't. Now the play designs with play action are just really effective moving offensive lines. Uh, Chicago did this really well against Everson Griffin. They moved the offensive line in his direction and he couldn't get any pressure on Mitch Trubisky. Because Mitch Trubisky was on the other side of the offensive line. Exactly. So it's used for a lot of different things other than, uh, and it doesn't always have to, to play off the run. Now the other question is, how to use Latavius Murray still? Because Joe the Caller brings up a great point that Latavius Murray was effective, really effective, in a few games against teams that were subpar, of course. Uh, against Arizona, really, really good. And against the Jets, very solid. Had a couple of big runs there, the big touchdown run. And mixing in and out, he wasn't effective really with it last year I mean, so much. He was the guy running the ball last year, and McKinnon was the receiving back. And so far, since Delvin has come back, Murray has not been all that effective. He might be a guy that needs to be in a rhythm, 
so to speak. That's what Mike Zimmer said. The more carries he gets, the better he gets, which... It's hard to do, though. Yeah, it's hard to do, especially when teams are straying away from that and what the Vikings have done with Kirk Cousins. I mean, that takes away opportunities, just the fact, for Latavius Murray. And so now, how do you balance this as we go forward? Because the way I'd like to see it, I'd like to see them on the field at the same time. The Laquan Treadwell thing, I know you want to get to this Mm. with Laquan Treadwell, but I mean... He isn't doing a whole lot for them, and he's a below-average player, maybe even a below-replacement-level guy where you could just pick someone up off the street and they would give you the same level of performance. I mean, just look at what he's done so far in his career. That looks like a guy you get after camp that someone else cut because they couldn't afford or wanted to keep an undrafted player that impressed them. That's what you're getting in terms of production from Laquan Treadwell. So maybe that's in the next step is to have both running backs on the on the field at the same time, Latavius and Delvin, and just use Delvin more often in the passing game. There's there's no shame in throwing Delvin the ball. Look at the Patriots with James White. He's a running back, but they just throw it to him all the time. I mean, that was a huge part of his game. That was that's what John DiFilippo talked about in OTAs, having Delvin in the slot, have Latavius in the backfield. What did Atlanta do in 2016? That exact same thing with Freeman and Coleman. Like... You can do that. You can mm-hmm. have both running backs on the field at the same time. Then you don't know, okay, just because Dalvin's in the slot doesn't mean that he's going to get the ball. I mean, there's been a handful of times where they've done that same sort of trickery where they've had running backs in wide receiver spots and they've been nowhere close to getting the ball. So I think that it gives the defense a much harder look to prepare for, and it makes your offense more explosive because you can do so many more things when you have both of them in the game at the same time. Okay, here's a completely different question for you. Okay. Should Vikings fans hate the Patriots, do you think? I don't think there's really any reason to. Do you? Um, yes. Okay, Because why? of the cheating. Uh, should then the entire league hate the Patriots, though? Yes, and that's sort of the point, is uh. that if you like football, you should probably hate the Patriots. Manny, historical perspective, any reason to hate the Patriots with the Vikings? Me, personally, no. Um, is there a but, game? Is there a, is there anything that stands out? I mean, I can't think of any. The Drew Bre- or Drew Bledsoe in '94. Yes, he went 45 of 70. Yes, and, the, and the, the rallied from a 20 to nothing deficit. But I mean, and came back and won in overtime. It's a long time ago. I know. Didn't really. I mean, did it ruin their season? Maybe it did. But it, it springboarded the Patriots' season because they they won seven in a row to finish that season and made the playoffs. But for me, I I don't hate the Patriots because it's more like I've always liked Tom Brady. Even like back to, people don't believe me when I say this, but I like Tom Brady even back when he was at Michigan. I was a Drew Henson guy. Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, that did, don't get well. That was, but that was part of the reason why I like Tom Brady because mm-hmm. I'm watching him go. Lloyd Carr is doing this stupid two man quarterback mm-hmm. thing with Drew Henson, who had shown nothing. Great baseball player, into, though. Had shown nothing that would indicate he was going to be even a good college quarterback, and he's playing this musical chairs of quarterbacks with Drew Henson and Tom Brady. And I always liked Tom Brady. So then when he got to the Patriots, got the starting job, won the Super Bowl, it was it was pretty cool. So, like, I don't hate the Patriots. I don't really like the Patriots, but I've always liked Tom Brady. So that's why I've never really hated them, I guess. I mean, it's a dynasty. Doesn't everybody hate every dynasty? The Warriors sure. are the most hated team out there in the NBA. and um, Are they? Yes. No. 
No. Who's hated no, more no, in the no. NBA right now? No way. I the think, Lakers? I think people enjoy the Warriors. I think they like them. I think they love the drama. They love to hate them. They, no, I don't think they're rooting against them even. I think when they go to the finals, they want to see a laser show. They want to see something magical happen. Steph Curry th- score 60 points or Clay Thompson drop 15 threes. I, I don't even think people... I think there's a, you're always going to get when a team wins a lot. But the smugness of the Patriots combined with their massive cheating organization and Tom Brady being kind of who he is, I think that adds up to if you like football, you probably don't like them. Whereas the Warriors, lots of fun, lots of drama, lots of fun. There really isn't a whole ton of drama with this Patriots team, though. No, but there's lots of cheating before. Okay. Is it here's a here's a question I'll pose to you. Is it is it time to move on from like Deflate Gate and all no, those things? No. no, no, no okay. All right. No, well I'll a, just be quiet now. The, because I think Spygate, it is Spygate. Spygate should still we should still talk about it. I think it. we should I think we should still be cognizant of it and in what that was and what that did to the NFL at that time, but it's not part of today's game. I think that you still appreciate that this guy is forty years old. And playing at the level that he's playing. Okay, I don't think I ever cared about the Flategate. I will give you that. Like, just, uh, whatever. You, you, wanna know why, you wanna know why Spygate never bothered me? Because I've always thought Mike Martz was an awful head coach. So and he got. So you're he like, got okay, you beat him that way. outcoached in that mm. Super Bowl. Yeah, but they were, they were doing it to everybody, though. You're right. I mean, they were. Wasn't it the Jets who exposed them? They were taping Jets practices too. The fact that like the NFL covered for them by burning the tapes is so absurd. <laughs> I can't believe it really happened. So we don't even know the full breadth of everything that they were doing. And the fact that Bill Belichick just still goes out there and everyone says, oh, he's the greatest. He's the greatest. Bill Belichick. And all you can think of every time they get to the Super Bowl is like, huh, wonder what way they found a cheat this time. Because... The, they were deflating footballs, and then Belichick goes out there and does his uh, My Cousin Vinny bit and just, like, making a mockery of the whole thing. Like, but the, yeah, deflating the, footballs, cheat. the deflating the footballs really matter in that game, though. They kick the crap out of the Colts No, but game. it might have mattered in the game against the Ravens before that where they won by, like, a touchdown or something, you know? I mean... It, that was the thing, is is how many games did they win because Brady could actually grip the ball instead of not being able to grip the ball. And the, the, the bigger point is just they do this all the time. And so, like, if, yes, Brady's great, Belichick great, but they're they're smug as heck, and Belichick won't answer any questions on or anything like that. There's oh, no accountability from them. I think there's every reason to dislike the Patriots. I think we need to get to some calls, because I'm curious as to what Danny thinks about this. Okay, let's hear from Danny then. What do you think, Danny? Hey, uh, well, I don't have an opinion on, on this, uh, but I've got a couple of quick thoughts. Uh, one is, I think on the whole question of kind of like who is this team and, and kind of how far they can go, like I don't think we're in a spot where we can say whether they're contender or pretender. I think it's kind of like jury's still out because they just haven't, they haven't beat a, a quality opponent. They haven't beat a, a team with a winning record. And so I think jury's still out on that. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is just, I think everything when you strip everything away and you kind of look at this team, um, the the how how far this team will go in the playoffs, um, you know, I still think comes back to the defense, um, even in this sort of high octane NFL that is, um, you know, that defensive line last week. Um, I think someone charted it out that they only bl- they only blitz Rogers four times, uh, but we're still able to get that pressure, and I think it it it, it all a lot of it comes down to. To, to you know to them um and that defensive line and then the other last little quick thing is i would love to see 
what um, how how this team does in playing you know turnover free football against uh, a quality team because against Chicago you have the turnovers against New Orleans you have the turnovers and so it's kind of like this ongoing narrative well it's like well they play well enough but they had the turnovers and so it's the question of like can they play well play turnover free football and then kind of beat the quality opponent Danny you're gonna have to give me an opinion on whether you hate the Patriots uh, I do not like the Patriots. I actually saw them last weekend uh, play um, play play the Jets, um, and I'm not I'm uh, I'm not calling it here. But man, they look flat. They 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 ended up beating the uh, the Jets by like two touchdowns, but they just look flat. I I don't know. It's it'll be interesting. We'll have to we'll have to see what happens. But um, not a big Patriots fan. I'm not a huge Tom Brady hater, but um, I'm not going to say I love him either. Man. There's a lot to wow. unpack there. Wow. But also, like, come on, Danny. Come on. Like, no one, no one's gonna hurt you if you if you say whether you hate him or not. It's okay. Let's uh let, let's give all right, Chad. Chad in Colorado. Yeah. Do not let me down. I need uh, because of that, I need a hot take from you on whether you hate the Patriots. Oh my goodness. You want a hot take? Yes. I will give you a hot take. Let's go. Colorado. Let's do this. My wife. My wife is a huge Broncos fan. I can't tell you how much they hate them. Beautiful. Why? <laughs> So, here's the biggest reason why. Number one, for the Patriots, there is no such thing as ethics. There's only rules. So, if it's not, if it's ethics, unethical to do, it doesn't matter to Belichick. He will do it. If it's okay, if it's bending the rules, doesn't matter. He is going to bend the rules whether it's ethical or not. He doesn't care about ethics. That's the, that's the first point on the Patriots. If they can find a way to bend the rules, they will always, always do it. So that's my take on that. Second, second question I have for you, Matt. Yes. If you give me a favor, I would love to hear Sage Rosenfeld's thoughts on if he had this offensive line himself as a leader, how would he be taking this offensive line aside and coaching them to say, here's what I need you to do to help me be better and to win some games against some winning teams. I need to know that. Can you give, ask him that question for me? I, I can. Uh, I actually think, okay, so now this, this might sound like a, like a hot take too. I actually think that as far as the coaching goes, they've done the best they can do with the offensive line that they've been given, right? Yeah. I, I mean, mean what the, more could you want them to do? And, and to that point... There were several times this past weekend in those early drives that crapped out where Cousins went over to talk to his offensive line on the sideline. A lot of people don't see that because they're not watching that. But I think Kirk has done a pretty darn good job in terms of, you know, there had been moments where he it looked like he wasn't taking accountability. I think he's learning from that. I think it really turned around in in the Chicago game where there was no holds barred. He went in there and explained, you know, at least in the second interception what went wrong. But took accountability for both of those first two things, which was different from some of the fumbles and and things that were clearly on him that sounded like he was pinning the blame on the offensive line. I think he's growing in that. I think that that's just a small part of what we're seeing right now, that he is trying to help his offensive line be the best they can be when they are kind of playing with one hand behind their back. And that's another point, is that he hasn't done anything to make it easier on them, and neither did John DeFilippo. And now I think that they will going forward after what we just saw. And and, and from a per, person-to-person perspective on the offensive line, I feel a little bit like bad for each player. Like, Riley Reef has been playing through injuries, and they stick him against Khalil Mack one-on-one. Like, come on. 
Like Mike Remmers is a good tackle, and now he's a guard, and, and he's yeah, having some of the worst, you know, oh worst gosh. figures of his career. And it's 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 really tough. And Pat Elfline has those injuries and has to come back and play Aaron Donald. Like, oh, yeah, that was great. And uh, Tom Compton's not a starter. Like Nick Easton is the starter, and they didn't have any backup plans. So then they just have to stick this guy in there. And then Brian O'Neill's a rookie, and he is trying like hell. So it's like they didn't do anything to make it better, and the guys are probably getting as much out of themselves as they can. But it's just not a, a great situation. Um, and that's going to be one of the biggest questions as we go forward. we got another call on the line that I want to get to when we come back. And I'd love hearing from people. Like, do you hate the Patriots as a Vikings fan? Is there any reason to hate the Patriots? Chad in Colorado really hates the Patriots because they cheat and they're they're unethical. Do you feel better now? Do you feel better now that Chad's like on your side? I need somebody to give me a take, man. I think Chad need to, needs to take a deep <laughs> breath after that one. I'm good with, I'm good with that. No, I, I love the fire. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll talk a little bit more about it. I've put it out on Twitter as a poll to find out how many Vikings fans actually hate the Patriots. We'll be back here on Purple Live. Purple, purple, and more purple. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. All right, we are back on the Purple Live show asking you, is there any reason as a Vikings fan to dislike the Patriots? I say you've got a great case. And if you want to go with Deflategate or if you want to go with Spygate, then then please do because they deserve that. So does that mean Vikings fans, if we're saying, if we're pulling that far in the past, and I want to pose this to people too, should the Vikings hate still after all these years, hate the Saints for Bounty Gate? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's fine. I'm asking a legitimate question. Yeah, like, no, that is a good question. When do you get over and things yes. like that? Ever? Um, yeah, the fact that they didn't cheat to beat the Vikings in any way, I could see people being like, eh, not my problem. But I think because I, they don't play them that often, that it doesn't really affect this fan base. Right. And that's why I thought it was an interesting question to ask. And the poll question that I've put out there on my Twitter, at Matthew Collar, has been... Pretty much 50-50, 633 votes. We got 55% saying, meh, not so hating the Patriots. And then 45% saying, yes, we do hate the New England Patriots. Uh, The smugness, I think, is probably a thing that could bother people. Uh, Just, you know, Belichick and his act with the whole, we're on Cincinnati and all this. Like, you could just, like, oh, good, yeah, you won with the best quarterback, and so you get to act that way, but, you know, bite me. I could see how people would be like that. Sure. And then, you know what? If you don't like someone because you're jealous, like, that's fine. You could do that. I mean, sports, it doesn't matter. You know, like, if you don't want to like them because you wish you were them with all the wins and all the smugness, you wish that was us, like, that's fine. That's a reason to hate somebody. So let's, uh, in sports, not in real life. Like, Definitely. That, that translates to me for real life. But... Um, just only with me and your yes. raging jealousy. Absol- um, absolutely. Let's go to uh, let's go to David here in Minneapolis. What's up, David? Hey, not much. Um, so in the '80s, I did not like San Francisco. In the '90s, I didn't like um, the Cowboys largely because of the Herschel Walker trade. Just watching them win with all these potential Vikings players. Um, it's their the NFC teams. You, you've got the Patriots in the AFC during the Chile and uh, Leslie Frazier years. The Patriots were the one team that you could watch. That was like okay. I still actually like football. Um, when, when the Vikings were terrible, I, one of my favorite games was watching Brady throwing like 70-yard darts in a snow-covered field when most teams have all they do is run it. So I, I like the Patriots for that. It's like being able to watch a, a team perform at a high level when your team is terrible is great, especially when they're on the other side. The one thing, though, that I was thinking was the, 
it seems like the Patriots could be kind of a model for what the Vikings could be right now, where they sh- throw a lot of short yardage stuff mm-hmm. and get a yard after um, you know after catch, and they don't really have a dominant run game, and they can do quick hitting stuff. I'm so used to the Vikings being a, a dink and dunk team going down the field because they've had terrible quarterbacks. Now they have a quarterback, and people are going to start fighting on that short yardage stuff. You have two receivers who can just absolutely tear the top off of it and go along. They bite on the short stuff, you run routes, and then score touchdowns. Yeah. No, no, David, you make a good point about respecting what they've been able to do and their approach to even having Tom Brady succeed late into his career. A lot of short passes, the occasional deep bomb. Uh, as opposed to trying to ask too much of him in, in his later age, and it's almost like we haven't noticed, but things have changed with Tom Brady, and it's mostly that they have just worked around his current strengths. And I could see as, as a Viking fan where you'd say, like, well, just respect that. Like, just they're I good, think have and to. he's good at quarterback. I mean, unless you unless you were constantly, if you're you know an AFC East opponent, sure, you're always going to hate him because he won't go away. Right. But they just haven't played him regularly. It's just, I mean, that's... That's the thing where this whole week the narrative is going to be, oh, well, they're, they're Parcells' disciples, and, and what do they know about, uh, you know, what concepts do they pull from that, and how different, how much of the same, what they do. Well, they're kind of different. They don't really play each other that often. They don't intersect paths. So mm-hmm. I think that it's kind of like there are two conversations happening like on their own. Yeah, and I don't think there, there's any even real reason for Vikings fans to look at Belichick as even someone that could be their enemy. Like, well, you know, he's just been doing his thing, and we've never gotten to face him and would have liked to in some of these Super Bowls. But other than that, I can see where that comes from. For me personally, I always just laugh at what he's been able to get rid, uh, get away with, <laughs> and I just wonder how much more there is, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I, I think the if you're going to make this argument topical to actual opponents that the Vikings faced— if if you're a Vikings fan, why would you not hate Sean Payton for all of the on sideline antics the skull and clap thing, the skull yeah. clap, the choke thing? Like, I mean, I think they hate Greg Williams more, right? They, yeah, probably. I think they hate Sean I think a Payton lot of people, too. Okay. Though. All right. So, yeah. I mean, that that to me is is the better argument here because I mean, there's they actually face them and they face them quite a bit. And now, I mean, now they're coming off a loss to the Saints. I mean, who knows if they eventually see them again in the playoffs? I mean. That that's a much more recent and valid reason to not like someone. I think in in collar to sort of play off your point of sort of the arrogance within you know the the, the walls of the Patriots. I think that might be the one thing that bothers me about them is that everybody that works there does have that arrogance, and you see it when Belichick assistants get head coaching jobs who. You know, you get yeah, the Matt Patricia's yeah, yeah. and the and Josh McDaniels of the to, world. Uh, not slouch. Yeah, and then you get like Charlie Weiss goes to Notre Dame mm-hmm. and he thinks that he's just this yes. offensive genius and then he falls flat on his face at Notre Dame. Like that sort of arrogance that these assistants get that they have when they leave that uh, that facility, that's kind of what bothers me. Manny, that's an excellent point because you take a look at what Patricia's done and, and the wheels that came off that thing weeks ago. Yep. Um, Josh McDaniels and, you know, I always agree that you should do what's best for you and your family and your livelihood, but, you know, screwed over several other people that were coming with Mm -hmm. him to Indianapolis just because he got a better offer at the last minute after committing and going back and, uh, rescinding that essentially the only assistant I can think of right now that doesn't kind of have this arrogant BS 
that they this whole Patriots non the Patriots way nonsense, which only works for one team, the New England Patriots, who is quarterbacked by Tom Brady. Yes, is um Mike Vrabel. Yeah, I think Mike Vrabel has done a great job. I mean, you know, he's not so much last night. Not not last night. I mean, Marcus Mariota. God, can you believe that? Completed ninety percent of his passes and lost. Yeah, what an odd game. Well, when you give up like a ninety-four yard touchdown run, that that hurts things. Uh, you know, actually, that I like that. That's one of my favorite things that they do is have their assistants go everywhere else and totally bomb. <laughs> it's actually like one of the more fun things about the Patriots, and that sort of makes you wonder. I guess there's there's always that like, is it really is it really super genius? Like that that's one of the most obnoxious things. If you're a Vikings fan or anyone else in the NFL, everything they do genius right like they signed i remember albert haynesworth the one time and this whole patriots way nonsense of like oh yeah they don't put up with anything and then they sign like the worst people what did he do again was he the one who stepped on the guy's neck in the middle of the game yeah he did and then that blew up in their face but still like genius and then you know this josh gordon thing what irritates me too is how other teams just like give them things like jacksonville run the ball like, stop having Blake Bortles throw on third down and stopping the clock. Like, run the ball, right? Just, why are you doing that? And it always seems like teams choke. Atlanta, run the ball. Seattle, yeah. run the ball. Like, these these teams just giving them stuff. Like, they didn't even really earn it. They just sort of intimidated with their, like, weirdo mystique and The Giants cheating. were the one team that figured it out against them right. in the Super Bowl they, that, that actually played it smart. Right. They ran the football, and Eli didn't turn the ball over. You notice the thing about that? And this is, I, I'm, you know, I try not not to just like make up pot shot theories on the radio, but I've got one. So if you like it, then you use it with your friends. Is that like Seattle, Atlanta, Jacksonville, these teams who have just given them stuff. These are teams that are like sort of newer franchises or haven't done bleep franchises, right? Like Atlanta, they never won anything. And they they get in those situations. They're like, wow, like this is this is the Patriots. Like this is the Patriots we're facing. Where the Giants, they have like this amazing history. They're the New York Football Giants, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, no, we can do this. Like we can win. We can beat the Patriots. Who are they? Like they sucked like ten years ago. We're the Giants. We're we're in these games. We go to Super Bowls. Like that's our franchise mentality. No, nobody's buying that. That's fine. But you can use it though because it sounds good. Yeah. All right. You're looking at me like we got to take a break. So you got three questions for us. They'll have to be quick, but we can Mm -hmm. do it about this week. We'll do that when we come back here on Purple Live. In a sea of purple, this is one deep dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Okay, Manny has three questions for us, uh, and he will make them quick since we Mm -hmm. went a little bit long. So what do you got, Manny? Uh, If you're the Vikings, who do you put on Rob Gronkowski? Everyone, um, they all of a sudden with Josh Gordon have like weapons now. When they went into the season, it felt like they didn't, and now they do. And I mean, Harrison Smith makes the most sense to me. Yeah, probably Harrison Smith, maybe a linebacker too. So he's dinged up though. Like, but he, but he looked you buying. Re- yeah, I'm buying. He looked really good last week against the Jets. Okay. I think he's back to old Gronk. All right, if he's back to old Gronk, then Harrison and another guy. If you are the Vikings defensive front and you're trying to get pressure on Tom Brady, who is more important, Richardson and Joseph or the defensive ends of Hunter and uh, Griffin? I think the as a unit. like just They get, love talking about that, too. They would agree with you. Four-man pressure, right? I mean, like being able to do that against Rodgers, being able to do that against Stafford, they need to be able to create four-man pressure here. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Like Brady's good against everything, 
But getting in his face is kind of nice, though, right? Like, Up I mean, the middle. I, yeah, I think that that hurts him. Yeah. When, when you can get pressure. They've gotten a sack on 8.2% of their dropbacks, uh, sending four or few rushers in. That's the fourth best in the NFL right now. All right, last one. This is sort of an either-or question. Which version of Tom Brady is better? The one we saw winning the three out of four Super Bowls when he was younger, pre-Rob Gronkowski, or the Tom Brady we've seen over the last seven or eight years with Rob Gronkowski and putting up the massive numbers? I'm taking the more recent version with Gronk. He is just such a mind freak with these last <laughs> few years, right? I mean, yeah. just going back to the Super Bowl again, and it wasn't Tom Brady's fault that they lost that game. I mean, he went off, and their defense couldn't stop anybody. So their defense couldn't stop Nick Foles, but the Vikings couldn't either. Uh, I will say that the, the more modern version, the arm strength clearly is not what it used to be. This version this year, I don't love the way he's played for a lot of this season. I think he's been just okay in a lot of situations, his numbers against the Blitz have just plummeted, which makes me wonder. He's like, is Zimmer going to want to do that this weekend? Yeah. Is he going to get to? Because remember, he said like he thought about doing it more against Rodgers, but honestly, they didn't really need to. No, they didn't. And the physical part with Brady, like, is it is it finally happening where he's trying to protect the body, and that's he's, why he's the forty one right? now. I mean, it it happened to Manning, and it went quick. So uh, I do wonder if he's trying to sort of protect himself. But the last five years, I think, have been unbelievable from Tom Brady, especially with Gronk. So I will take that. Thank you, Manny. Mm-hmm. Um, next week, we're going to start this next week. I want to do this week to have you do an NFL film style preview. See, I was wondering if you were going <laughs> to want me to do it. But do you have time? Did you have one? I, I don't really have one, but I could maybe muster All one right. up here in the last let's, minute. Let's, of, can we okay. get some autumn wind going let's, just like last week? Yeah, let's let me do see it. if let's autumn wind. Okay, that's how, that's how we will end the show. Manny, NFL film style preview of Vikings and Patriots. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe to the Purple Podcast. It will be a battle on Sunday afternoon in Foxborough at Gillette Stadium between two historic franchises in pro football history. It will be Viking versus Patriot Sunday afternoon. Enjoy it, football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.